Podcast. <laughs> Boofing. <laughs> all right. Um, start the timer. Yes, yes. We're all yeah. professional I'm here. Feeling hot today. Not in a good way. I'm like hot, hot, hot. flashes. Like I'm, I'm feeling sweaty. I've done a bunch of well, maybe because I was exercising. I too am a middle aged woman. Woman. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Anywho, so you got through that, and um, you're here. I mean, yeah. We, so we better get started. We're, we're late. We are late, and we're back. Welcome to Recovery in the Middle Ages. Are you going to start this? What? You should start that. There you go. And we're back. <laughs> Welcome to Recovery in the Middle Ages, the podcast about two middle-aged suburban dads and their pursuit of life, love, and recovery. I'm Nat. I'm Mike. And boy, do I have a show for you. Mm. Today on RMA, we wonder aloud about spreading ourselves too thin, falling (laughs) victim to the people-pleasing psychopathy, and we wrap up our two-part series on Crime of the Century, the HBO documentary on the rise and fall of Purdue Pharma and the Sackler family's role in today's opioid crisis. All this and more... (laughs) Today, on a very special edition of RMA. That was beautiful, man. That was quite an intro. That was <laughs> Well, I had extra time this ages. morning. Yeah. <laughs> I had extra time. Yes, you did. Sit and waiting. Waiting for Mike. That's, uh, that's you know, story of my life. People are always for- waiting for me to show up. I know, but we're, I'm glad that you're here. We were ready to rock. I've yeah. got the outline printed out. And here we go. Boom. In addition to um, listening to us here on the internet... You can also visit us on the internet at middleagesrecovery.com. That's true. Or at Podbean or Apple Podcasts, Facebook, Instagrams. Instagram. Instagram. <laughs> I want to start a company called Instagram. Instagram. Spotify, Amazon, et cetera, et cetera. Join the discussion on our exclusive and private Facebook group. People are discussing yes. things. If you need to talk, don't hesitate to reach out. Write us a review. New podcasts, and I still consider us a puppy of a podcast. Oh, yeah. We're less than a year old. Um, this is episode 40, I'd like to remind 40, everyone. 40, holy crap. 40. It feels like we've been doing this a very long time. Doesn't it? But yeah. 40, that's at least an hour each, you know, so we're talking a long time. It has been a long time. Go to the Apple thing and uh, click on the Drunk Monk and write us a review. The Apple Podcast app, which I can't stand. Yeah. But- you know, there's you other think, apps. Think, there are, and and you know what? I don't know if you listened to that episode of a uh, podcast, um, business podcast from the Wall Street Journal I sent you last no, week. No, I didn't. You but should listen to yeah. that because there's that. like Spotify is trying to like steal everything away from Apple, but I don't know if there's a way on Spotify for you to rate a podcast. Is it, there? I don't know. I don't know either. So you guys should That's, all go to the pre-existing standard in the industry, which is the uh, Apple Podcast. Yeah app and leave us five star review and in fact um we got one from the name <laughs> is a little drunk but he- but hey is his name but hey but i always read that boothay a little drunk boothay boothay <laughs> five stars uh, five stars who's reading it me okay go uh, it says and it's five stars thank you very much uh the title is not in recovery but love the podcast i think mm-hmm. and then love the poo it's love the paw mm. uh you guys are totally relatable and despite mm. me not being in recovery i can't stop listening i love the stories and glimpses into your life good stuff you can't stop listening That's did you a, say you're addicted to would our you, podcast? are you addicted <laughs> we're gonna have to have an rmaa for that rmaa okay. groups where you discuss your obsession so we still have uh, plenty of t-shirts available you yeah. guys should maybe buy one are they too expensive just tell us on facebook and we'll not do anything i'm running <laughs> a special right now 20 percent off if you mention this podcast yes <laughs> use the code um 
Poverty. Poverty. <laughs> we'll do it. Uh, MiddleAgesRecovery.com. Go there. Click the shopping cart. It's that easy to support your favorite show. And uh, we also have the Your Story form there. So if you decide you don't want to leave uh, a lengthy story on the podcast uh, review app thing, you can go to the website and do it there, and we'll read it on the air, I promise. We've Jeez. read pretty much all of them. Mike, I have to say, you seem drained today. What? <laughs> Sorry, I just you got off. Just... I just got off. You know what? Work has been very busy. Work has been busy. Yeah, um, uh, it's um, it, it is what it is, man. You well, know, it's a good that this is a good segue to ask you about work because one of the uh, outline bullets uh, is is all about your work and uh, your boss is calling you out. I mean, what's going on? Uh, what is going I on? I made a minor mistake when I was asking for $8 million. I actually, or <laughs> $9 million. I actually asked for eight. Aye. And uh, it's a lot. the boss sort of saw that and was like, um, he didn't, he said, uh, you know, I did this and then I changed it because it hadn't been changed, you know, and I, I know how to read between the lines. I know what that means. Right. right and um, right. he you know, took I, the uh, liberty of correcting your error. He took the, yeah, exactly. So it got me thinking that, um, you know, now that everything's heating up in the legal community, all the courts are reopening, all the criminal trials are going forward. So the civil trials are following right. behind like an obedient puppy. Um, you know, everything's happening at once. So it's, it's really getting a little stressful. And, and when, I, when I relayed this to you a couple of days ago, you, you had the greatest quote from Lord of the Rings, which is probably the nerdiest sentence I've ever said, um, ever. Why don't you why don't you tell the listeners right. what you said? So th this is the quote I think about. It's either from The Hobbit. This is when Bilbo Baggins is describing to Frodo how he feels since his uh, life was unnaturally extended by the One Ring, and he says to uh, Frodo, "I feel thin, sort of stretched, like butter scraped across too much bread." <laughs> um, that was good. I should have uh, I should have jumped some music in the back of that. Still can. Uh, Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Um, but that's that's perfect. I do. I feel like thin butter. Just right like now. scraped, and just like the feeling of the scraping with the knife across the toast, <laughs> and it's just not making it, and you could feel the the friction, like that feeling that you know. Yeah, or like a needle being ripped across a, a turntable, a record. Yeah, we have trouble saying no. I think. Um, well, that's the thing. I mean, my wounds are all self-inflicted, right? Because there's the job, right. and there's the podcast, right. and then there's the other ninety-five. Oh well, and then there's, there's wife, the family, kids, right? But then there's the other shit that I layer on top of all that. Sure. Right? Oh, there's but, a lot of things that you want to do, just like me. There's so many things that I do want to. There's do. so many things. I know. I want to do all the things, I, I which mean, is different because I used to be afraid to do all the things. You know, I was always half hungover you yeah, know, anxious yeah. and I I didn't want to you know now if somebody calls me up and says listen let's go do this thing I'm like yes yeah exactly and I, but I feel like Jim Carrey in that movie right what was yes that movie man. the yes man yeah. right it is. And that it, worked out for him in the end or it didn't I, I, I forget I think uh, in the end Jenny McCarthy left him really but that happened in real life I'm not sure oh. if it was related to the movie my wife hates Jim Carrey as oh, an yeah? aside yeah I don't interesting know. yeah I um so yeah that's a problem but um then it got to, got me thinking about the, the whole concept of um, of balance and whether balance is overrated or whether it's important. How to, could balance be overrated? I mean, you should have balance. Well, what about going all in on your recovery? Can't you go... To the go, exclusion of some other things. But you still should balance. Like, even if you go all in on your recovery for like six months mm -hmm. and then back it off. Well, what does that mean to go all in on your recovery, though? 
seven meetings a week, reading constantly, you know, speaking to a sponsor or a therapist, really like almost every moment of your day is, you know, you wake up and hit your knees, pray, you know, like, do all <laughs> like that hit stuff. your knees with, That's a, what with we, an iron bar. Like, yeah, what are you talking like about? Going all in, calling three alcoholics okay. a day to talk. Yeah. Well, I've never know. done that, but right. you know, it's uh, right. That's going all in. Okay. I mean, like I had to do that for a while. Uh, to to make this work, I so, was just explaining that to somebody on uh, on a Facebook group. Yeah, and I was listening to some podcasts a couple of weeks ago where they said that um, you know if the first year of your sobriety you go all in on your recovery to the exclusion of all the other stuff, then that's that's an acceptable way to um, uh, to not have balance in your life. Well, yeah, because but if that continues exactly. indefinitely, then that's a problem. It is, and I agree with that. And I think of it like um, you know if your house is on fire. Um, what do you, do you just run out of the house or do you kind of like try and figure out why it started, who started it and just kind of like sit, no, you get the fuck out of well, the I house. We'll grab the cat. I mean the dog, <laughs> to grab the, the cat, but you I don't have a cat. It's all, it's like triage. You know, if, if it takes that first year, like my life was so messed up. My life mm. was so out of whack. My brain was so upside down that, uh, it was a hundred percent necessary for me in order to continue living. Essentially, I had to go all in. It's like treating treating an illness. You know, if you have cancer, you don't, you can't, you're not going to be going skydiving probably. Right. You know, until the chemo wears off. But, um, so all in, but yes, but I think balance in the larger sense of the, but I think this is different depending on what level of, um, what level in active addiction you are, because I know there's a lot of people who have like, you know, just a, a case of alcohol use disorder, where they fall on that spectrum is not the end where they're right. sneaking under the stairs to drink vodka every five minutes. Yeah, you they know? could all benefit from not drinking, but, you know, to the extent of what kind of treatment they need. Right. You know, it's completely dependent upon that, I believe. I've actually found myself committing more time to um, cons- considerations about recovery as time goes on, because I find it to be a good use of my time, uh, you know, a therapeutic use of my time. You know right, what I like mean? Like it's a self-help thing. That's it, the way I see like it. Like I weave it in together with the meditation and with the other stuff. And it's, it's, it's just sort of becomes part of the fabric of your life, the tapestry, if you will. Right, right. A hundred percent. And um, I think that's where it has to be, you know, to get to a, like when I was first in recovery or first being forced into it, you know, the idea of, of staying sober or doing a program it was the hardest thing I could imagine because I would have to change my entire life yeah. in order to make it so that I could do it and be joyful and it's what I want to do. Mm-hmm. So for a long time, you have to do something you really don't want to do. Right. Um, and people think, oh, I don't want to do this. I shouldn't have to. Or if I don't have a, a warm feeling the minute I start something, then it's not for me. Uh, it's disabusing yourself of the notion that being uncomfortable is somehow bad for you. I mean, getting clean to begin with is extremely uncomfortable, especially Mm. if you're suffering from acute uh, withdrawal or uh, use disorder. So, I I mean, it's hard to get somebody to a spot where they, they internalize that and say, yeah, that, I mean, maybe that's that spiritual awakening that uh, they talk about where you have that epiphany, like, wow, I've got to do a bunch of shit. I don't think I want to do in order to get, to the other side. Maybe. Um, maybe. Maybe. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I agree with everything you said. Um, I don't know. I don't know. If, maybe that is, maybe that is where the, I, I'm, I'm hesitating because I'm considering, mm. I'm considering what you're saying. Yes. For, I did uh, say a lot time. in about 10 seconds. <laughs> um, 
Wait, I had a thought I was chasing down there, though. Well, you, ah, fuck it. Forget it. Hey, we It'll had Memorial back. Day this weekend. Yeah, right. We it, did. It was great. Yeah, and I'd like to say... Well, actually, it wasn't great. It rained for two it, solid days, and it was like 45, 50 degrees. Right. So we had this big Memorial Day. I mean, everybody in America celebrates it, I believe. What happened to the mic? Ah, you're unplugged. And, uh, how did that happen? I don't know. You're a musician. Plug it in. <laughs> Sorry <laughs> about that. Um, you don't really celebrate Memorial Day, but you're supposed to. It's supposed to be a somber day to remember the uh, sacrifices uh, so many uh, of our military and, and the people who support the military have made. And uh, you know, it made me think about my grandfather. I mean, I don't typically think of myself uh, as being from a military family because it's just not the way we roll. It's not. It wasn't part of the fabric of my like childhood. Right. They never talked about it. Uh, my grandpa Henry never ever discussed his time in WW2, which is what he called it, until I asked him why one arm was shorter than the other. And he said, that's shrapnel. And um, oh, I, thought, I thought you were setting up a joke. No, it's, <laughs> there's no joke on this one. Okay, sorry. The, the punchline is shrapnel, so that's, that's not actually funny. And uh, so my, uh, my grandfather, Grandpa Henry, he was a medic in World War II. And uh, he later became a pharmacist, and um, hmm. and he was, uh, I guess, if something blew him up, and you know, he got the Purple Heart. But before he did, he, you know, gave, devoted his life to it. He didn't die in active duty, so you know, he died years later. But he definitely suffered the consequences yeah. of his injuries, and I'm sure the PTSD, which he would never talk about. You know, the, especially being a medic, think about how many times he yeah, must have run onto the field to, found to see pieces of people all over you know, the place. Um, but yeah, I honor him and my namesake, Nathaniel. Uh, I won't say. <laughs> now I'm giving my name away. Uh, there was someone I was named after who died in the Civil War on my father's side. And um, was he? Do you know anything about him? Like, was he? Do you know which army unit he was? Uh, I could find. With? You can Google his name. You yeah, can see that'd his be grave. Really interesting. You can see his grave in whatever company he was in. Oh wow! I can get all that stuff. And so there's some some of that. Uh, and you know, we like to honor. Under those uh, those veterans who who did uh, give pay the ultimate price to protect our way of life, so we can have these conversations. Yeah, right? my my uncle Joe died in uh, died in World War Two. He was uh, uh, died in Guam fighting the uh, Japanese. Really? Yeah. So we got a couple. Yeah, he was nineteen years old. Jesus, when you think about that, and so many guys from that generation when they came back, you know, uh, the the idea of like sharing your experiences and. Um, all that sort of thing was was uh, and the idea of even of, of therapy as sort of like a right. normal normal thing that people do to, to get their heads in order uh, just wasn't there. So these guys just bottled it all down and yeah, uh, you didn't. A get, lot of them ended up with uh, alcohol abuse problems and yeah, you, you know. weren't you weren't getting therapy unless you were crazy or so right. they thought. Or I don't know if you had anybody watched the movie Patton, George C. Scott. You know, oh, he's playing amazing. The general, you know, he had this one. Kid in in the movie who had uh, shell shock, yeah, and uh, you know because he just couldn't take the bombs anymore. And and Patton walks up to the kid and takes his gloves and his riding crop and starts smacking him in the face, going, "You're nothing but a damn coward!" You know that shows you how different people were thinking about it. That back sounds then, like you know? synonym. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but the rain did not ruin it. You know, for me. Um, you know, I, most like my family was annoyed, obviously, because we probably wanted to go and do some ni- nice stuff. Mm-hmm. We actually had a trip planned. We went to the new Legoland that just opened up in um, 
Goshen, New York, which is about two hours north. Orange County, I think. Um, and so we left Sunday. It was raining. And, um, yeah, we decided to spend the night at this. The, the hotel for Legoland, it was going to be nice, but they, they're not open yet. It was like a preview, so not everything mm. was functioning. Yikes. And uh, <laughs> we stayed at this Holiday Inn Express that was just a shit show. The holy shit. They were just, they didn't have anything together. Like, everything was wrong with this room, the service. Like, it couldn't have been mm. worse. Um, but we got through it. We brought the Roku and could watch TV, and we had a great day at Legoland. My kids are very into Legos, um, and uh, everybody got along, and it was, uh, thank God for that. I well, let, me, uh, let me take a step back here for a minute. So as, as, someone, as a business traveler, I've stayed in my share of shitty hotels, you know, over yep. the, in the, in the country. What made this particular uh, Holiday Inn Express uh, less than, um, you know, a positive experience for your family? So, uh, the first thing was, before we booked the room, we were told the pool was open, oh. even though, and this is actually the only reason Christine booked it, is because the kids would love to go swimming and That to- is like a fatal yeah. fucking mistake for them to pool make. pool was closed. So, we got there, and we're like, oh, this is fucked. You know, and then we tried to talk to the manager about, like, why did you tell, you know, like, what the hell? Like, can we get care. a discount? Not only did they not care, the person who was, could have made any decisions didn't show up till the next day. Mm. On top of it, just things you expect in a hotel, like Wi-Fi that works. We usually bring our Roku so right. the kids can watch their streaming. The Wi-Fi was terrible. Not only that, the shower had no uh, pressure. And keep in mind, this is a new-looking Holiday Inn Express. Mm-hmm. It just looked like like a shitty movie set kind of thing. Like, right. it was just put up in 10 minutes. Uh, uh, the refrigerator was like, <laughs> like all night long. Well, every time you get one of those hotels, it's never one thing that's fucked up. It's like everything yeah. is fucked up. And, and the, the final thing I, I'll, I'll mention is that um, my son, Max, who's constantly hurting himself, he needed a Band-Aid or he needed Bacitracin. Mm-hmm. And uh, we couldn't find it in our bag. And so like, oh, don't worry, I'll go down. You know, hotels always have a little toiletry area with Band-Aids. And, right. Absolutely not. They just had lean cuisine. <laughs> Uh, and um, Pringles. And they didn't even have a Band-Aid behind the front desk. He No, he didn't have anything. Amazing. And so the Holiday that, Inn yeah. Express in Goshen can go fuck itself. Go fuck itself. <laughs> Don't um, stay there. One star. Yeah. Um, what else happened this week? We had a scout meeting. Yeah, so uh, tell us about the scout meeting with... Is he a county legislator? Is that He's a county legislator. He was. He's a bit of a... Um, Enfant terrible, to borrow the French term. Uh, he's a he's a young guy, um, twenty seven. He's twenty seven now, but he his, he he got his first elected office when he was eighteen. He was elected to the school board mm. in the ritzy town next to ours, who has had all kinds of you know issues with. Um, well, I mean, any of you that don't live in New York would have would be horrified to know what like what the average person pays in property taxes yes. around here. Um, but I don't know. So he was elected to that office. And, and I interviewed him for a podcast that I used to have uh, about local goings-on around town. And we kept in touch ever since. So uh, I managed to... I'm sorry I never came on that podcast, by the way. I know uh, you invited me and I wanted to, but it just never a material. You know, it's, ne- it's never too late. Okay. Because elections are coming up and now yeah. I want to become a power broker in town. You so should, yeah. I, I'm going to start it up again. Media mogul. Uh, but anyway, so we kept in touch and I, you know, every once in a while I 
I jack him for a favor. Like, you know, like, jack him? Well, you know what I mean. Like, the latch not priest? off, but um, he, um, for example, he, my son got an internship with him this summer, oh, which cool. is going to be a ridiculous because my son is like a right wing commando now. Yeah. And, well, maybe he'll and learn he's something. like Mr. He goes to Black Lives Matter rallies and stuff. So it's yeah. really. And he, Josh went to Harvard too. He did. Um, he did. But anyway, he, so he came and yeah. spoke to the Cub Scouts and that was great. Uh, we had a nice meeting. We went on a nice hike afterwards. I was just, just, just so our listeners know. So I'm actually supposed to be like the equal partner to Mike. <laughs> you know, when we first decided, I include you on all the text messages. Which is as far as, you know, and I feel awful about it because early on you were kind of like, listen, I don't want to do this unless you do this with me. <laughs> um, we, we had to both be, you know, the den leaders. And um, and I said yes, because I don't know how to say no. And uh, I wanted to make <laughs> you happy. That's how I ended up with it too. Right. So the two of us. And... Uh, it's just has not been uh, on the top of, I think, either of our list. But still, you still manage to put this together. Every and, once uh, in a while, I can pull a rabbit out of a hat. But you know what made me feel better? There was a, yeah. We invited a couple other dens, so there was yes. another leader there. And I, I was talking to that guy, and he was like, we didn't do anything this year either. And I yeah. was like, whew, that's yeah. a relief. I thought their I was the only... kids had great questions. I felt like our kids looked so stupid. Yeah. And the other kids were like, you know, asking complicated questions about like alternative well, where do you sources see, of energy. Yeah. These like 10-year-olds are like, where do you see the United States energy future in yeah. the next few years? And he's like, well, I'm, I just make laws about like littering, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> Where did they I'll, I'll do my it? best to answer, you know. Yeah, that was pretty funny, but um, yeah, thank you. For, do you harbor any resentments that I've sort of abandoned you in some senses or not, all senses? Not really. I'm just, yeah. I'm, I do have a job for you, though. Okay. Yeah, I, I want to be told what to okay, do. Okay, I'm going to tell you what to do. Thing. I'll tell you right now on the air. Okay. Uh, I need five knives with the kids' names engraved in them and a Cub Scout emblem. Okay. By the June 22nd, so get started <laughs> I think I could do that. I'm, so long as I remember after the show. Yeah, I'll remind you. Don't worry. We're giving. So do you think we should give the kids knives? No, by the way, not, I mean some of them, yes, but there's a couple that I'm thinking maybe shouldn't have knives. Well, the, the ones you're thinking about probably already have knives and a gun, and you know that one kid probably has like a butterfly knife, and he's like, "Hey, that I say, one kid's gonna go to gonna be in prison in a few years." Yeah, but, uh, that, that I is mean, a, you hate to look at somebody and be like, "I know the trajectory that kid's on," but Jesus, you know. Anyway, I, I wanted to um, I wanted to say something about um, I've been seeing uh, there's some interesting things going on uh, with with pe- being people being bribed to get um, vaccinations. Is this part of your story for recovering the news? It is. I'm seeing a lot of these anyway, but so that's recovery in the news. Um, I'm seeing a lot of interesting. Uh, yeah. Oh, wait, a little early. Sorry. Uh, uh, ways that they're trying to coerce people, you know. Um, and the other thing I wanted to to note was I saw this Budweiser commercial where they're basically saying like, okay, everybody get back to the bar. Not only is it coming back, but everybody's getting a free Budweiser. That is recovering the news this week. Yeah. That, that's the one? <laughs> yeah. I, I've said it. All right. <laughs> what uh, else you got? What else do I have? Is, oh, so you uh, here's this New York Times story I wanted to uh, to mention that um, it's very important, and the title is "U.S. Finds No Evidence of Alien Technology in Flying Objects, but Can't Rule It Out Either." 
A new report concedes that much about the observed phenomena remains difficult to explain, including their acceleration as well as ability to change direction and submerge. Washington, I'm going to read a little bit because this is important. This is the, we are doing. This is so out of order. This is the New York Times. Okay. American intelligence officials have found no evidence that aerial phenomena witnessed by Navy pilots in recent years are alien spacecraft, but they still cannot explain the unusual movements that have mystified scientists and the military, according to senior administration officials briefed on the findings of a highly anticipated government report. What? Okay, for one thing, there are government officials being briefed on this subject of what are these objects. But they're always objects. This is just kind of leaking out into the public domain now. Okay. Don't you think? I wanted to call everyone's attention to that because you know how uh, you heard how it I here feel first. about this stuff. You on this, on this pod, recovery podcast. <laughs> yeah, uh, sorry we're out of order today, but... Um, <laughs> Um, you know, you haven't been drinking, have you? Not yet. No, No, what I have been doing is, and the last thing we're going to say before we get to the topic, I think is, you know, I've been going to the gym. I've actually been able to get there, uh, this past week I've made time for it and I've been running. I finally hit 3.1, 3.11 miles. That is super, man. I've been, I'm trying to talk you into doing a race in the fall. Yeah. I've been, I threw the half marathon at you and you were like, fuck no. Like, I mean, it felt good. I mean, I feel good. I'm feeling better shaped than ever. I'm, you know, and when I ran, uh, the three miles, which was my goal is to get to, th- I've been running 1.3 and two. And, and so, yeah, there's a, a big race coming up in a, in a town nearby. Uh, what is it? September? September 21st, the Cow Harbor 10K. The 10K. If you so want to find us, that's where we'll be. 10K is twice what I, I ran yesterday. So theoretically, I could work up to it. And, and I think I'm going to officially accept the challenge. How long did it take you to get to where you are now? I don't know. When did I start Month running? Month and a half? Is that what it was? And you got three months to the race? Yeah. I like the math. If I keep, if I keep running like this. I think know. you can do it. I think you should accept the challenge. And I think we should do it as a podcast. I think, think we should wear our own swag while we're doing it. That's a great idea. Absolutely. And um, there is more swag coming. Uh, Jeff D., our uh, merchandiser extraordinaire, is working on a new design. Excellent. Yeah. So we're very excited about that. So do you, did you have any buyer's remorse about the gym? Yeah. So, you know, I, I sort of, like many things in my life, impulse signed up for the gym. Now, what do I mean by that? I've been thinking about going to the gym, you know, these past three months when I've been diet crazy and I've been doing 250 push-ups a day. And I finally was like, I'm hitting a wall. I can't get any more fit unless I join a gym, which probably isn't true, <laughs> but I needed to go. So I went, I made an appointment at this fancy gym nearby and, uh, and they showed me around, and I was so impressed, and I felt so. I just signed up right there. Wow! I just signed up they right. Signed, they they reeled you right in. They were they're like you get three months free, and I'm like, oh sweet. <laughs> Meanwhile, I don't even know how long the contract is. I was going to say, is it a contract or is it a month? To I month? don't even know. Oh, I just shit. was like, I want to be a part of you. Just sign here. <laughs> Give me your money. I know. Wow. So, so you're going to start taking like the yoga and the yes, stuff? Yes. Okay. I've already, in fact, they co- it comes with this awesome app that uh, has like classes on demand. Even mm. if you're not at the gym, I like I did a meditation. Oh. They have guided meditation. I did some yoga. I put it on my TV with just with their app. <laughs> on top of it. You didn't have, happen to film any of that, did you? No. no. <laughs> it, was, it was actually awful. I mean, uh, I fell and. Yeah, yoga is I, not, I can't yeah. sit on my like feet and knees like that. And ba- it's just crazy. Um, yeah. But I am getting the most out of it and I'm feeling good and I'm, you know. Um, 
but I, I am sort of regretting it. But the way I'm making up for that is by trying to get there as, as often as often as I can. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I'm still stuck in the garage because I got the squat rack. I called you yesterday, yesterday when yeah. I was working out. So, yeah, Mike calls me, and uh, all of a sudden I hear, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, uh, Mike, is everything okay? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, Listen, I'm an old man, and I'm listening. Seven. Eight. I'm like, hello? <laughs> um, yeah, and I told you squat. Doing squats at, at our advanced age is a horrible uh, idea. But lightweights because I got to keep myself fit. Uh, yeah, so look, both of us are staying in shape, and uh, we we uh, encourage everybody out there to uh, start an exercise regimen. It really makes a difference in your mental outlook because it fires off all these great endorphins oh inside your brain, and you know it's I, good for you. I mean, I just don't I, listen to that, but it's it feels good. That's why you should do it. It feels. I mean, it feels great, and it took me the longest time. Even though you, I, I knew exercising was going to get me to that next level of being happy. Yes. Um, until I finally was like, "Fuck this! I'm just going to fucking run." Yeah. And I did, and that's what's run, cool about Forrest. running. I just I bought these sneakers that you told me we, to buy. We can see them. And uh, and I just was like, you know what, honey, I'm going for a run. That was it. I didn't have to drive to a gym. I didn't. I just said, I'm out of here. I didn't Three know. Three years later, yeah, they found that small city in the Midwest. <laughs> Run. Um, so I also have some sad news today. Um, my uh, my old trumpet teacher uh, passed away recently, and I know that doesn't sound like it's an important person when I say it that way, but he was part of my family. His name is Peter Trenchy, and um, maybe one thing people might not know about me is that I was like a prodigy trumpet player. When I was wow. in fourth grade, I was you know, widely seen as the best trumpet player in town. I played uh, in this whole time. But wow, I, I played taps for, ta- I was asked, and I performed taps at Teddy Roosevelt's grave on his birthday with all the dignitaries. I was first trumpet when I was in ninth grade. They put me right at first trumpet with the seniors. Like, mm-hmm. I was the best trumpet, and he was the reason. Right. Uh, and uh, he didn't have much of a family himself. He had a very tragic um family story. His brother died of uh, AIDS in the 80s. His older brother died of alcoholism. Um, He was a a pretty bad alcoholic um, as long as I knew him. Like through his life? Yeah. Like he didn't stop? He never stopped. Okay. And uh, how old was he? He died at 66. That's a, that's pretty young from where I'm sitting. Well, <laughs> the story goes, that as much as I could tell, uh, he ended up with three DWIs. Mm. And um, for the last one, he had to do six months in a county lockup. Jesus. Did he, he kill somebody? No, but he was so, just so, if you if you do this in New York and continue to violate. Right. Like he, he kept going to these rehabs and then you're supposed to stop drinking. Mm-hmm. And, and then he would graduate the rehab. Uh, we almost crossed paths too at one of our rehabs mm. recently, which is interesting. And we did talk about alcoholism. It was awkward for me because he was always inviting me out, like drunk dialing me. You got a cup? I'm like, Mr. Trenchy. He's like, call me Peter. And um, <laughs> Jesus. even after he would, you know, uh, have the, the DWI, you know, case and it was over, he'd still meet up for drinks. Um, right. He lost a marriage over alcohol. He never had any kids. Do you um, think he had the clarity of mind to see that his life had gone sideways because of drinking? 
the the last conversation I had with him uh, after he got out of jail, uh, we met up at Wally World, as he called it, in that neighboring town. And, oh, um, and, and uh, <laughs> that he called place. It, he called it Wally World. That food is terrible. And I was really trying to, you know, like maybe I could tell him, hey, my life is getting so much better because I don't drink. So I, I admitted to him that I had a DWI and that right. I was struggling with alcohol, hoping that I could say, hey, what about you? Do you, you know, you're going to go to a meeting or are you going to try? And he was, even after all of that, even after jail, even after ruining his life essentially um he still was not convinced that he was an alcoholic um uh, that's and uh amazing the the capability we have for for self-deception so sad because we did love him and um sorry to see him go he's um he was one of the best trumpet teachers and a lot of the uh the trumpet players are um who are professionals now you know can you know call him a um their coach and their teacher and he did pass away of cancer ultimately and he will be missed i think you really put your it's very sad and and it's, it's exceptionally sad when when somebody who has such obvious talent in some area oh, is, yeah. is unable to, to like be, you know yeah get around the the drink but but it also kind of puts to mind um something that really is kind of out in front of us at all times especially doing this podcast is that when you get to the middle ages or mm-hmm. older, um, you know, your ways of thinking about things are, are pretty ingrained and, and to, yeah. to sort of pull back, to get the 50,000, you know, foot view and try and see things in a hole rather than, than from your little, you know, incorrect position inside your own head yeah. is very difficult. And I think it gets really difficult when you get older because, because sure. you to, get set to in do this, not only that, but if you really were to, be honest with yourself and and pull back and take a look at how much time was wasted and how much, you know, potential, the things that could have been that never came to be. It makes it extremely difficult, I think, for you to to say, you know what, I've been on the wrong path. I'm going to take a turn. Right. You know, because it's an admission of futility or it's a mission of, I mean, when I think about lost opportunities and. But the thing is, it's never too late, though, even if you're, you know, because I graduated at 42. Well, and and I've read, you know, you know, stories from from on the internet and some groups I belong to from people who quit drinking at the age of 60 or the age of 65. And, sure. and it's, and you know, you can't get it like all wrapped up in the idea like, Oh, you know, the last 20 years were, were a waste. You know, it's like, here I am now. And these are like the best years of my life right. all of a sudden. And I'm actually taking this time and I'm spending it in a, in a productive and a positive way. Right. So right. for any of you out there who are on the older end of the middle they age think, spectrum, what do I have to gain? You know, I don't have much left. It's you like know? you, you have so much to gain, you know, and, and, don't ever give up. Don't surrender. Don't throw in the towel. Even if be willing get, to take a look at at yourself and 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 do the work that even, needs to be done. Even if it's true and you're dying next week, it why not give yourself four days of clarity? Right. It, you know, it's uh, that's one of those. I things. mean, I, I just yeah, it's hard not to look at life and like and time in like a linear fashion and, and cut it up into little pieces and think like this part was good. This part wasn't good. I mean, you learn lessons from all parts, you know, all the good parts, all the bad parts, all the weird parts. And then some of the stuff that you think is horrible when you're going through it, when you look back on it 20 years later, you think how necessary that was for your development. 
Um, Not to be overly philosophical about it, but... Well, to to cap that off, um, it makes me think of um, something a speaker... I was listening to an AA or NA speaker tape, and the speaker said um, to the people, um, if I could take away your... um, your addiction and your history getting to this place, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't cure you. I mm-hmm. didn't. I wouldn't want to rob you of the journey, right? Because so much of the joy that I have in my life and that you have maybe wouldn't be here where we hadn't where where we had we not gone through all of these horrible things. Even though I'm still, you know, having problems like when i'm driving and i i have these flashbacks from my accidents and sometimes i'm just sitting there you know outside with my kids and i'll i'll remember some scenario where i was nearly killed or robbed or woke up to find myself somewhere where i didn't know like those are you know that is really hard but um, I wouldn't have the rest of my joy had i not gone through all of that or i don't know if i would but i, I couldn't guarantee it you know it's all part of the tapestry of your life. So I wouldn't, you know? I wouldn't change it. I really wouldn't change it. Just to uh, borrow from the Zen, the Buddhism thing, you know, you, you can look at it and you don't have to get attached to feeling a certain way about yeah. it. You know? It's it's hard it's to all. not regret things because yeah, well, I regret so much with the way the you know, it hurt gone. my kids and my wife and my family. And I wish that could be, I could undo that, you know, because I feel awful about that. But we can't think like that. You know, we can't. Yesterday's history. Yeah. Tomorrow's a mystery. So, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Ending all of that, now it is time. Let's talk about drugs. For the main topic discussion, part two of Crime of the Century. Um, Called What's in It for Me. Right. Um, With him. What? With him. Oh, yeah. That's what that salesman was saying, right? Right. Um, so, that, so, part two is really um, takes a, a look at how the, the corporate, um, you know, greed situation around the opiate uh, um uh, crisis didn't really change. It just kind of um, was taken up by different companies who were trying to dip their beak and take advantage of, of people. Um, th- this p- particular part of the uh, show focused on the legacy of a company called Incess. In- Incess. <laughs> not Incess. Incess, uh, which is another company that forced its uh, play into the business of mainstreaming opioids. Uh, it was spearheaded by an entrepreneur named John Kapoor, yeah, I have a clip for this. Can I play a clip? Yeah, sure. Right. This is with them. Let's see if it works. Reds are your businessmen. They own their practice. They run their practice. They manage their books. They see crazy number of patients. It's all about efficiency. In fact, when you as the rep walk in there, they run to you with a pen to sign, and they're running away. He's talking about selling to doctors. They don't have time to talk right. with you because they're treating patients, making money. And if he's a red and he's a businessman, I gotta show him the whiffum. What is the whiffum? W i f m. What's in it for me? That's all they're thinking. What's in it for me? Buddy, will you stop talking about the freaking drug? Will you stop talking about saving the patient? Will you stop talking about the science? And will you please tell me what's in it for me? Because you're wasting my time. Those are the reds. Those are the So, I, so that was Kep, Kapoor's former VP of sales, Alex Berlikoff. I should have set that up a little bit better. That's when they're talking about how to sell to doctors, that there's four different kinds of doctors, red, mm-hmm. yellow, and red is the one that is just with them. So Incis, uh product was um, fentanyl. 
and it was sublingual fentanyl that you'd spray under your tongue, and it was also the lollipop, right? right? So, again, INSYS had the same um, uh, idea that they had to overcome the doctor's resistance to prescribing the opiates, but their take was to go out and look for the sleaziest doctors and, you know, work them as hard as they could, like take them out to strip clubs, right. buy them dinners and everything. And that's just what that guy was talking about, yeah. you know. But, you know, there's some doctors that you weren't going to be able like if you couldn't show cer- certain doctors scientific evidence that this stuff was, um, you know, specifically geared and would, would help the pain, wasn't addictive, they didn't want to have anything to do with you. But there were other doctors who were like, you know, He's like the ones that were that they specifically targeted were the ones that were businessmen first and doctors second, and, and they could see that yeah. how much money that could be made mm-hmm. the more they wrote these prescriptions. But this company was particularly um, uh, shady because they would pay the doctors, like literally just write them checks for like speaking fees. Right. They call them. That's how they would bribe them. Yeah, they and they would speaking. say, you know, doc, here's a, here's an honorarium. I think they called it a yeah. speaking honorarium. But they made it specifically clear that if they paid the doctor like $3,000, the doctor better write $6,000 worth of opioid prescriptions. Right, you know? right. So they found a way you know, in. And uh, sadly, it wasn't as difficult, I think, as maybe some people thought it would be to get to doctors. Well, They're supposed to be priest-like. You know, all of like. a sudden, um, the idea of, of, of pain you know, was, was changed. You, you the saw fifth the fifth vital. Yeah. You saw the fifth vital sign. It was called by these, by these pharmaceutical companies. Yeah. So that's where you first saw the, um, the scale of pain from one to a 10 with the happy face yeah. being one and the uh, ag- face and agony being, 10. I always circled the one with the agony well, to right, try and get pills. That's how you get pills, right? Get pills. But, but, um, so the, the combination of the marketing by incest and other companies like that and, and these these doctors who were just in it for the money resulted in all of these pain management clinics popping up. A lot of them in the state of Florida, which is which is kind of what they what they focused on in the movie. Mm. Um, but these were pla- these places were pretty remarkable. I mean, you'd go in and a doctor would see you for like ten seconds yeah. and be like, you know, how you you know how you feeling? Uh, you know, is anything hurt? And then they'd send you out with a script for fentanyl. I mean, it was nuts. And so people would line up around the block these places in the morning. You know, I don't have any experience with this because no. I never was addicted to. I opiates, always wish I, I could find one. <laughs> like the, I heard about these things when this was going on. I was probably in the depths of my uh, opioid addiction, and uh, I remember thinking like. Oh, gotta fucking find one of these places like how come i don't know where these places are you know what i mean but it's it's amazing because um just looking watching this documentary and i read the book empire of pain um just seeing what all the pieces of this puzzle are you know and and it's all kind of coming becoming clear you've you've not it's not just the sacklers making the um the drugs i mean like Doctors were complicit, and then a sales force was complicit, and then a pharmacy was complicit, and then you've got you know the the, the business end of the recovery industry on the other side of it, and then Congress was complicit ultimately. Right? right? I mean, the, this is you can't just blame the Sacklers, man. I mean, this is a series of you know just bad actors just screwing everybody for money, basically. I mean, these sales guys were really something, though. Like, like that that Burakov guy, you know, he went out and he recruited other people to work for for incest. And where where did he find his best mid Atlantic regional sales manager? She was a stripper. She was because he said she knows how to like sell. Right, knows how to work a room, and she ended up. Um, yeah. 
you know, running a whole bunch of other people. And, and that guy is brilliant. Like you just listen oh, to, yeah. I mean, sleazy he's as from, hell. He's from Long Island too. You could tell. <laughs> um, but I mean, those guys were brilliant, but guess what? They were just doing their job. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the problem was that they started bending the law and um, he, he even, he got started actually, I think working for uh, Prozac uh, early on, or was it? He was giving. He got oh, fired. Burkhoff, Bur- yeah. that sales guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, he, he was a fired. former gym teacher who uh, then like got into pharmaceutical sales because he realized. He said he showed up at the the parking lot of the school that he taught at, and there was some guy in a, a Porsche smoking a cigar. And when he told the guy there was no smoking there, the guy yeah, like yeah. blew smoke in his face and said, "Little rules for little people." And yeah. then he was like, at, the, at, at that moment, he decided he had to go out there and make some money. And ethics were not really at the top no. of his, you know. And, and, and so even his after his first job, um, you know, they uh, he was fired from that because of like he was inappropriately, I think, paying doctors, or they found out he was giving away too many free samples or something. Mm-hmm. But he immediately found. Uh, the next company and said, well, I know I can make money doing that and just kind of took it to the next level Mm. with uh, bribing of the um, (laughs) bribing of the, sorry, that's my ring, the bribing of doctors. And, um, but I think they all knew about it. Like in his first instance, they fired him over it. (laughs) But um, from there on, from uh, what was it, Insys and and, and Mm -hmm. Purdue, and they just sort of said, yeah, they look the other way. We're making money. Right. What's in it for me? Well, it was it was crazy to me to hear exactly how deep Florida got into the the whole thing. I don't know if it's because of a lax regulatory environment or yeah. or whatever, but it, it became the epicenter of the prescription drug abuse uh, epidemic. Um, you know, the Broward County Sheriff's Department thirty years ago it was all crack crack houses. You know, that's what they were focusing their enforcement on, and now they they. Uh, they're just raiding pill mills, which are, you know, the stores, like I mentioned earlier, where you just, you know, they would just prescribe pick pills. It was basically just drug dealing yeah. with a prescription it pad. Would t- it would be all cash. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, they, they uh, highlighted a couple of, of doctors who were um, singled out for particularly egregious violations of basic, you know, prescribing morals. Um, There's one stat about Florida, though, that blew my mind, is that doctors in Florida prescribe 10 times more oxycodone than pills than any other, all, every other state in the country combined. People would coming from all over the Southeast uh, to visit the pain clinics. Um, That, I mean... (laughs) I mean, it's it's Florida, man. (laughs) And and then, you know, and, and then what they're saying is, how did the people who monitor these things not notice that a small pharmacy in some small town was prescribing more opiates to their population than, you know, like a major city? Like how what something was clearly going on there. The crazy thing is these were like the pain pills were some of them had the pharmacy in house. So you would get the prescription, then you'd walk down the hall and they would fill it down the hall. Yeah. So those guys were making money on both ends. Yep. But there was other clinics where you just get the prescription and then you'd have to go fill it. So word gets out that this one CVS yep. near the highway, uh, you could line up there in the morning. There was like a line of, you know, 50 people deep, just like you'd see like on the Lower East Side, like uh, on Avenue D in the 80s when people were buying heroin and just line up. And, and, and the CVS, when they interviewed, uh, the, the sheriff's office interviewed them after a bust, they said to them, they asked them, well, why did you cut off everybody waiting online? 
at noon. Right. And she said, well, we wanted to have some some pain uh, pills left for our legitimate patients who actually had pain. Yeah. Right. So, so it's like a, they're, they knew that this yeah. was not legitimate. This is CVS. This isn't yeah. like some, some crappy little, you know, just absolutely uh, unbelievable. But I, you were, you were going to talk about some of these doctors. And, and uh, I think there's that, that one guy a couple who was them. running that clinic out in Utah who was, they, they talked about him at the end of episode uh, of the first episode. What was his name again? Is that Lynn Webster? Lynn Webster. He's an interesting character because Psychopath. he was crim- like they made him into a big criminal, which maybe he was. But what's interesting about him is he really appeared to not believe he was doing anything wrong. Like if you watch your uh, the interviews with him, he looks very intellectually honest in that he felt he was doing the right thing by his patients. And what's crazy is when any other doctor would look at the prescriptions he was giving to his patients, it was like a hundred times over the normal recommended dosages. You know, he would have patients... If, if you have them on like five or six different yeah. opiates. So it would be like a thousand milligrams, a thousand, you know, uh, milligrams a day instead of 20, mm-hmm. you know. And, uh, and Do you think he really believed his own shtick? He, uh, from what I've seen, and I'm a decent judge of people lying, but who knows? He appeared to me that he really does believe, he really believed he was helping. He does admit, you know, look, there were a couple of cases that he says where I was like taking- 30 ev- patients who dropped yeah. dead. He was like, there's care. a few cases that uh, I regret not noticing that they were taking advantage of me and they died. And uh, I regret that, but he doesn't take any responsibility. He says, you know, he was doing um, what he believed was the right thing for those patients. He believed uh, truly in high dose pure opioid pain management mm-hmm. and uh he felt like this was an attack on pain patients and so i don't know it, it's an interesting point of view and um maybe it's true maybe maybe it is uh helpful to prescribe as much opioids as a person needs. i <laughs> maybe. don't know i, I, I tend I'm not to a think doctor. not it doesn't um, seem to have gone that way historically, but he seems to think so. I mean, where, when do we get this idea in society that every pain that we have needs to be addressed with a pill or or something? You know, I mean, yeah. pain is the body's Discomfort. way of telling you that you know something is going on. In That's pain, what we were right? just talking about this morning. Um, you know, the, the fact that you know being uncomfortable mm. isn't necessarily a bad thing. It doesn't necessarily mean that something is wrong. Your body is telling you that you're in pain, you know, and it's your job to react to that and manage it. And maybe it means, you know, don't walk on your right leg for an hour or two because it's got pain. So if you're constantly numbing that pain, you're not taking care of your body. But these drug companies have, have changed the discussion in America to the point where, you know, they have made it pain to, out to be something that must be eradicated at all costs. So right. now that's sort of seeped into the popular imagination, you know? Right. Nobody wants to be, uh, you know, and when I was in uh, rehabs, I, re- I would always hear when uh, they addicts were uh, reasoning with, you know, the, the doctor or the therapist about why they needed to take what, you know, their heroin, it would be like one guy who was always like, well, I got in a car accident, you know, 10, 15 years ago. And um, if I don't take it, I can't get up in the morning. And, you know, and maybe that's true now, but, 
you know, once these people get off of the abuse cycle, usually their pain does subside. And uh, it turns out that the, the taking of all of these opioids to cover up the pain is actually, you know, making it worse, really. Yeah. I mean, just look at the percentage of, of people who started out taking uh, oxys for back pain and ended up scoring heroin in an alley because they became addicted to it. I mean, it's, yeah. these are criminals. These are criminal doctors. These are criminal pharmacists. You know, I mean, it's why, no, why more of these people are not in jail. I do not understand. Well, I do understand. I understand because the, the drug companies have plenty of money yeah. and plenty of pull on Capitol Hill. Well, that's the thing. They've got people in office. They've got people at the FDA. They've got, they're giving money to politicians supporting campaigns. I mean, well, they, they, in the, in the documentary, they interviewed this one DEA agent whose, whose mission was for his entire career until it was basically ended by the pharmaceutical industry was to um, try and interrupt the supply chain of these pills by going after the manufacturers were shipping from the warehouse because there's apparently a federal statute that says, um, I forget what the language is exactly, but if you can show that there's a danger that these pills are going to end up going to uh, an abuse situation rather than for a legitimate medical reason, the FDA can raid the, the distributor mm-hmm. and shut it down. And that's what they were doing, and they were doing it successfully. But then companies like Purdue and Insys um, got into the ear of the representatives in Congress, mm-hmm. and one guy who used to work at the DEA actually went to work for a law firm after his career at the DEA was over, and he became the company's biggest advocate on Capitol Hill, and he actually ended up rewriting that law, wow. taking the enforcement power away from the DEA so they could no longer raid these these companies. Unless you think this is an issue of Republicans versus Democrats, the thing sailed through Congress with bipartisan support and really? not a single negative vote, and Obama just signed it right, in, wow. right, into, right into law. So it, it basically defanged the, F, the, the DEA and stopped them from being able to go after these companies. Right. And, and that's all money in politics and power. So every step of the way when there was supposed to be something, you know, that society placed, breaks, stops, where checks, all of it seemed to have uh, fallen through. I mean, usually when you have this many things, like there should have been the DEA, there should have been, you know, pharmacies, there should have been the drug companies looking at it, and everybody, and even the people who were, like, selling it, the people working at these companies, like, nobody, you know, stopped this, or, and the people who did were probably, like... They, they all knew what was going on. It's a failure, a major failure of basic you know, dignity at the expense of just greed. It's unbelievable. I mean, it is believable. That's why it's sad. But now we have a, a situation um, where all of, they they're, they backed off quite a bit on producing Ox. I think OxyContin has been discontinued, but mm-hmm. there's a million other opioid pills. And so many of the people who were hooked then went to heroin yes. or fentanyl and then died. And they are responsible for those deaths. That's what I believe. 100%. They those should, motherfuckers are responsible. They should be in jail, all of them. I mean, it's a miracle I'm not dead. I mean, for a number of reasons. And I don't blame Purdue for my opioid addiction because... You should. Well, let me. I'm not one of those. And I used to. I used to say that 
I used to like the idea that I could hide behind that because so many people, when I was first coming out about my opioid addiction, I would hear people sort of make excuses for me and say, oh, well, you probably were prescribed it and, right. you know, but, 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 but. Okay, so you're not one of those. The truth is <laughs> I can't I can't blame them because what really happened was I was trying to get pills. Right. And when the guy the next day came back with supposed to be my Percocet, he had two bags of heroin. Ah. He said, this is all I could get. I right. said, what's that? He said, heroin. Oh, no, he actually said dope. And I did it. So this was not me. And I was not addicted at the time. I mm -hmm. was 100% in my quote unquote right mind. Right. And I still did it. Well, okay. So not everybody gets that excuse. Like I was just truly... Uh, uh, drug-seeking addict, uh, well, but, as hard as you know, that is to say. Another way to think about that, though, is maybe there wouldn't be quite so much heroin around if the Mexican cartels hadn't realized that all these people who can't get pills are looking to you know, sustain their opioid addiction. So there's way more heroin around than there would have been if Purdue Pharma hadn't gotten all these people hooked on opiates. So, yeah. you, so maybe your dealer wouldn't have had any heroin to give you. So maybe you can blame the pharmaceutical company. <laughs> I mean, it's great. It's nice to blame, but it is. Um, the truth of the matter is, like anything, uh, there's many different things that failed, many reasons. Um, sure. And sure. so what's great about this book and this these movies, these documentaries, is it's at least shining a light on like, what the hell happened, you know? And just to look back on it and, you know, hopefully it's it's like the reason you study history is so you don't repeat the bad parts of it, well, right? Except Isn't that why in we America, history? you know, with, as, as long as the, the people who are selling the product get access to the people who write the laws i don't see this ever changing right i mean um, lobbyists are a big problem and because it's opioids today and then what is it tomorrow now, now what new drug is it going to be tomorrow there's a, a quote from uh, there's a radio personality who you're gonna not want to hear from his name is michael savage is the savage nation he's an extreme right winger but oh. he had a very poignant comment i used to listen to him he was talking about the government and lobbyists and he said our government is run by lobbyists and politicians a lobbyist is a bribe giver mm -hmm. what does that make a politician right. a bribe taker yes. therefore our government is run by bribe takers mm -hmm. and i couldn't have put it better myself and i don't know what we can do about that, except for abolish the dollar and go back to the barter system. Uh, you know, <laughs> maybe we could do what China does. And if you, you, you know, screw up something like this, you take the executive, you put them against the wall and you shoot them. That, that would be <laughs> right. right. Maybe, maybe like that Duterte would, shooting drug dealers. You may, think that that's, uh, well, the problem it, with Duterte is he goes against the users, which, you know, Oh, he shoots the users. He shoots too? the users too. That's uh, um, not that I'm like a, a big death penalty advocate, but you know, you, you take off the, take out the heads, of, of some of the big pharmaceutical companies, maybe don't put them against the wall. Maybe put them in jail for twenty years. Yeah, you know? but yeah. we don't we don't put people in jail for for crimes like that. Despite the fact that you know how many tens of thousands of people have died, hundreds of thousands. You go to jail for having an ounce of marijuana in your wheel well or something. Yeah, <laughs> I, I you know the real criminals. Because so many of these people, right? You know, the, these are guys with regular jobs who twisted their neck and then. Five years later, they're buying heroin in an alley, and they weren't our old degenerate and, and, addicts. And like meanwhile, me. you know what's what's recovery's answer to these people? You know, get them in a room and make them talk about how you know how bad their choices were. Which you know, fuck that shit. Honestly, you know. Yeah. Um, what 
I don't remember exactly. How, I mean, the the resolution of these of this documentary. Well, I don't want to give away the ending, mostly because I didn't watch it till the end. Right. <laughs> I think I know what's his name went to jail. The incest guy. He did, but it was for fraud, some kind of fraud. Yeah, I mean, the bottom line is go watch this documentary. Um, I also highly recommend to read the book by Patrick Radden Keefe, which is long but extremely comprehensive. And if you want to get the audible, uh, he's he's got a great reading voice. But um, you should buy the hardcover because we get paid if you do that. Yeah, please <laughs> go to our link and um, and get that. I don't think book. we get paid on the audibles, do we? Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. It depends on the audible. But when I say get paid, I, I, I mean like five cents, like ten cents, or something. So yeah, you know. But what I would like from our audience is if I would like to hear your review of these documentaries or your thoughts on it, go to our private Facebook group for Recovery in the Middle Ages, join the discussion, and tell us what you think. You know, go watch it, read it, and let's talk about it. This yeah. is uh, going to be our book club. I'm thinking about doing a book club for. Hour um, where we all read a book, maybe discuss it on the show, and discuss it in, in a group. Yeah, man. You know, we're trying to do more interactive stuff. Um, I don't know. Do we have anything more we want to say about Crime of the Century, an HBO documentary? No, I don't know. You just put me on the spot. I'm trying to think. So, oh, yep. No, nah, I guess it's not really true. I, I just, fentanyl is interesting. Like uh, the fact that you know, incest was the. You know, they're pushing all this fentanyl. Yeah. Um, Those fentanyl you know, How did they lollipops. get to fentanyl from um, oxys? You so, know, like- the story behind fentanyl is it's been around for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, doctors loved it because you could get so much efficacy out of such small doses. Right. So, it was used in hospitals for, um, for anesthesiologists and stuff. So, fentanyl was around and people, it wasn't the big thing it is now once they started substituting heroin. It was like end of life cancer pain. Yeah, it was a very effective synthetic opioid that was great. And so it sort of was a natural progression of like, if we want a lot of efficacy from this small lollipop, we use fentanyl and Mm -hmm. it'll be great, you know? And then unfortunately what happened is people got access to manufactured fentanyl, cheap fentanyl. So they were able to, first they were mixing it with the heroin Mm -hmm. because heroin's very expensive. I mean, it's, it's gotta be grown. It has to be farmed. I mean, the whole thing. And once fentanyl and once fentanyl came, it was just like, boom, you can make, you could buy like, what was it? Like an ounce for $300. Well, it's also also much easier to smuggle. So, so the Mexican cartels have almost switched over almost completely yeah. to just fentanyl. Like nobody makes heroin anymore. They just make fentanyl. And even the cocaine uh, traffic has dropped because cocaine is harder to package and, and ship than fentanyl because yeah. you can get more bang for your buck out of the fentanyl. So the Chinese are making it and the Mexicans are making it. And it's all just coming into the U.S. because our big companies and our politicians mm-hmm. have banded together to create a nation of drug addicts. Yeah. And uh, last thing I'll say, just from personal experience... Um, after I OD'd um, and I, I was tested by my probation officer, um, I tested negative for heroin, mm-hmm. negative, positive for fentanyl. Really? Interesting. So even though I wasn't shot. outwardly saying, I'd like to buy fentanyl, right. I was trying to get the other stuff, this, you know, and there was nothing in it. So it's anybody, in everything now, right? Yeah, cocaine too. I used to run into guys at, in rehab that once they got to rehab, three days later, they started having opioid withdrawals and they couldn't understand it because they were cocaine addicts. <laughs> they're like, why am I, they didn't get it. Right. And then when they tested them, they're like, no, you've got, 
you know. It seems fentanyl. like a weird thing to put in cocaine. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. Uh, but these people are not operating on uh, a lot of logic. <laughs> it's just sort of, you know. So having said all of that, um, that is the end of our part two of Crime of the Century. Yeah. And we will be right back after these words. I just got a notification on my phone that my dog's drugs are coming. Oh, sweet. I ordered, um, you know my little white dog? Yeah. It's very neurotic. Yeah, yes. I ordered her um, these CBD chews. You got your dog I got CBD? My, I'm going to get You're my dog schmuck. high. Um, I, yeah, I, I suspect it's probably all snake oil, but, uh, but may, I want to see maybe. if it works because she's very annoying when she gets in a mood. People you know? swear by CBD. I mean, uh, it doesn't doesn't do anything doesn't do much for me but uh you gotta get those placebos can really uh really get you all right okay what time is it? it's time for our recovery in the news yeah. <laughs> it's the happiest part of the show So this week on Recovery uh, in the News, we take a trip back to the old gray lady, uh, the New York Times, who uh, had a story yesterday whose headline was, Anheuser-Busch to give away free beer when the U.S. hits Biden's July 4th vaccination goal. Mm. I believe you dropped this story earlier in yeah, our show sorry. today. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Uh, the brewing giant Anheuser-Busch said on Wednesday that it would offer Americans another incentive to get vaccinated, free beer. <laughs> the company said in a statement that it would buy America's next round of beer, seltzer or non-alcoholic beverage, once the country reached President Biden's goal of having 70% of the adult population get at least one coronavirus vaccination by July 4th. Mm. We're at 63% right now. Wow. So even though it says uh, that they will give you um, a $5 virtu- uh, virtual credit card uh, to order uh, I can to get a, get a beverage of your choice... The, in, in order to get the uh, the card, you have to take a picture of yourself at the location where you enjoy your beer. Really? Yes. This is very interesting. So, and um, um, huh? Yeah. So I mean, this is we must be very desperate to. Uh, well, two things we're desperate for: to kickstart the bar and uh, beer industry, and mm-hmm. get people vaccinated. So we're just combining those two things. I yes. think it's brilliant. The pace of vaccinations in the United States has slowed, with the biggest gains in recent week made in vaccinating 12 to 15-year-olds who are not eligible for free beer. No. You know. So what do they get? They get, yeah, I don't know what they get. They get a hard seltzer instead of a beer? Yes. <laughs> Jim Justice, uh, governor of West Virginia, said on Tuesday that the state would give away guns and other prizes, including trucks and <laughs> lifetime hunting and fishing licenses to vaccinated hell? residents. You give uh, away guns? Are these the same people they're is, giving beer to? Is this not the most American story ever? Like, you know, half the country is getting free beer, and if you live in the, the southern states, you're getting guns and pickup yeah. trucks. Uh, <laughs> I, go. I gotta, I gotta say, man. I mean, I don't know. Do I really need to say what I think about getting giving free beer for people to get vaccinated? Well, let me play devil's advocate. Um, what's more important, getting people vaccinated or that they be sober? Sober. I don't think I don't think getting a five dollar coupon for free beer is going to change anyone's relationship with alcohol necessarily. But, but I, if it just it changes just one person's mind, is it worth it? Well, I mean, if it changes one person's mind, it'll change it in the direction of drinking more beer, which you know. <laughs> 
I don't know. It's a false choice. It's an incentive. Yeah. You know, I anything that promotes the irresponsible use of alcohol, uh, in my mind, is not a good thing. But you know, would I rather have a beer? Or I was thinking this morning, like, would I rather get the free beer or the free gun? <laughs> I'd like the gun. Yeah, I'd rather have the gun than the beer. Know, That's me. You know. Yeah, I guess I'd we're really sort rather of, have the truck. I'm sort of a gun supporter type of guy. I don't want. I'm not taking a stand on the Second Amendment or anything right now. But mm. I, I like guns. I mean, I don't love them, but I believe in uh, you know shooting as a we pastime. still have to go to the range as a podcast. Yeah, I think we have to. Yeah. I love to shoot. Uh, at target ranges, I, I'm not. A, I don't like hunting, but that's just me. We should shoot some skeet. Have, uh, ski, do some skeet shooting. Yeah, that I got. A, cool. I got a shotgun. We can go out to. Do um, you really? Yeah, I have a shotgun and a mini 14 and a holy shit. 30 out six. Wow! I just keep buying guns. Yes, you I do. Don't know why? This is. Uh, and I identify as a lefty too. So. This sounds like a cry for help. What are you going to do? Are you okay? <laughs> and that's recovery in the news. <laughs> a little late on the trigger today. <laughs> Okay. Okay, that was a good one. What's next? This week in Weird. Uh, <laughs> Obama offers serious take on UFOs by our favorite author, Tim Binal. It's a double UFO episode. I saw today. this and I'm like, okay, we are legitimizing this, this study here. Okay. In an intriguing turn of events, former President Barack Obama recently talked about the UFO phenomenon during an interview and differing starkly from similar instances in the past, offered a serious assessment of the situation. The, <laughs> the what? The situation. Uh, the interesting exchange, which can be seen above, occurred this past Monday. <laughs> seen which, above. Seen above. We'll it's give great you the link. for radio. Yeah, it's perfect. Um, offered a serious assessment of this, uh, which can be seen. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> occurred this past Monday night. I lost my place. Okay. When he appeared on The Late Late Show with James Corden. During the segment, band leader Reggie Watts asked him about the simmering story surrounding Navy pilots spotting unidentified aerial phenomenon and undoubtedly echoing the thoughts of so many people who have been following these latest events, how it might be connected to aliens. <laughs> Responding to the extraterrestrial aspects of Watts' question, Obama initially made the obvious joke that, quote, there are some things I just can't tell you on the air, end quote. He then said that upon taking office, he actually asked if there was a, quote, lab somewhere where we're keeping the alien specimens and, and spaceship, end quote. <laughs> this is Obama saying this, You know what? Okay? If I were president, that also would be one of the first questions I would ask. And he, he says he was told that there wasn't one of those labs. The anecdote elicited laughs from the host and the audience, but then the former president's demeanor changed and he said, quote, but what is true, and I'm actually being serious here, is that there is footage and records of objects in the skies that we don't know exactly what they are. Mm. We can't explain how they move, their trajectory. This is Obama saying this. They did not have an easily explainable pattern. And so I think that people still take seriously trying to investigate and figure out what that is. I mean, this is a former know. president. We're talking New York Times. We're talking Navy. I mean, this is a golden era in UFO disclosure, stuff, and I couldn't be happier. It's stuff they can't explain. It doesn't I, I mean it's from so then, the extraterrestrial. It cannot be dismissed as swamp gas. It cannot be dismissed as um, a Russian experimental plane because the things they're seeing are defying the laws of physics as we know it. None of these things ever crash. They They, do crash. So where's the stuff? 
Uh, we think Area 51 and maybe S4 that but, are holding this stuff. Not only that, he said there is no place with with the air with the. He, you he think said, he was bullshitting. I think that's what he was told. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that really it's the it's the the military has knows all this. So we should be asking. It's very generals. compartmentalized, as you know. In the military, secret programs, black programs are all very compartmentalized. One hand doesn't know what the other one. This one's government doing. can't keep a secret to save its life. Are you kidding me? How about the Manhattan Project? It was 100,000 people working on that, and they kept that secret the pretty damn good. And the Russians had the plans in their hands within five years of the end of World War II. Nobody talked about it. Mm. Nobody knew about it. In any case, that's This Week in Weird. Well, that about does it for today. Thank you so much for listening. Thank Visit you. us at middleagesrecovery.com and check out our new merch page. Join the discussion on our exclusive and private Facebook group. If you need to talk, don't hesitate to reach out to us on social media. Check out our show notes. Mike yeah. works very hard on them, and there are many hilarious Easter eggs to find. Listen to us on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Facebook, Instagram, Spotify, Amazon, YouTube, and Twitter. So tweet us a twat, you twit. Please go to your Apple Podcast app or iTunes and write us a five-star review. It will be read on the air if you like it. And as we say, non proficiat perfectum. Progress, not perfection. See you next time. Be good, kids. Oh.